Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host and the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today we're using a new mic because my dumbass cat's knocked over my blue Yeti mic and it's gone fuzzy as shit, so we're using an Audio-Technica mic. Uh, yay, you're not re- a real podcaster in my opinion unless you have a backup mic. Just kind of how it works. You can't have like problems like this happen. But today, as I said, getting another legend on board to on the 2018 Podcast Legends Tour. Uh, my friend Lucas Rasheski, who have I said that right? Did I get that right? You nailed it, man. Fuck nailed yes. It. You have no idea. <laughs> I actually like phonetically wrote this down as well, just so I could say it correctly. Nice. Um, so I've known I've known Lucas since 2014, 15, when we were both in next level marketing. I think it was like during his rookie ish year. Wow. As a yeah, that, yeah, that's a while ago. Yep. Yeah, I remember when you were a rookie. Yeah, I start I, I started writing like I guess professionally in 2013 so that was early mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome yeah yeah yep. see i've known lucas that long that he's like at that point i still remember the time when he actually opened his copy when he was working for ryan Levesque and all the other fun stuff in between and we just kind of kept in touch the entire time and what really made me giggle and laugh was uh lucas had sent me a friend request and i'm terrible for these because ian uh nudge or nagi n-a-g-y he sent me a friend request and I didn't actually accept his friend request for about six months because I didn't know who it was. I met him in person. I was like, I fucking love this guy. Went to his Facebook to add him and said that I had a friend request from him like six months ago. I was like, um, I'm embarrassed I didn't actually check him out. Yes. And <laughs> while that happened, around the time I accepted uh, Ian's um, friendship request, freaking Lucas's was literally sent to me the next day. I was like, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. I'm just going to accept this guy and see what he's like. Uh, it's a really fun guy to follow so real quick shout out to our sponsors for the show today uh, as always we're sponsored by adelmrc.com go check it out sign up for our email writing masterclass that we have on there as well um, and again by the time this show comes out you should be seeing like a whole new lander and everything because we've got some like crazy new shit happening um, so there'll be a new site for you guys but again you can listen to previous episodes of the podcast uh, rate and review stuff all, all over there also, check out Lucas, that's L-U-K-A-S, he spells his name weird, you know, you can't you can't fault him, uh, Rasheski, which is R-E-S-H-E-S-K-E.com. There's a lot of E's in, yeah. You'll, you'll, the links will be in the description as always. You can subscribe to his uh, <laughs> newsletter, which is amazing. And the dude, like, puts out a lot of good content, so you want to check it out, for sure. It's, like, really, really cool stuff. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adil. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. It's going to be here finally, right? Because, yeah. man, I, I didn't realize we'd known each other that long, but I knew it was yeah. back in the Ryan days. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad yeah, we could right? actually do I, this. It, it's really ridiculous how people um, people forget that I actually remember shit like this. They're like, wait, you've known me that long? I was like, yes, I've known you. <laughs> I had Ben Settle on the show a couple of months ago, and um, on the show, it was like the second time I had him on the show, and someone actually asked me before I went on the show, how long have you known Ben Settle? How can you get Ben to like appear on your podcast so easily? Because I sent Ben an email like two days before and I said, hey, do you want to do this podcast? I was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. And it's like, how do you do that? I was like, I've known Ben a decade. They're like, really? Wow. So, yeah, I've known Ben since I started out writing copy professionally. Like, he was one of the first dudes I interviewed. He was like, the fuck did you do that for? I was like, yeah, reached out to him. He was a copywriter. I was like, hey, I'm that new kid on the block. Can I interview mm-hmm. you? And he was nice enough to say yes and just became a friend. Man, that kind of shit is underrated. Like, just reaching out kind of like you know hat in your hand or or just kind of dumb and going hey i'm new here you know what can what can we do together yeah that is so wonderful that's how i started dude like yeah, in, I know. In, 
in copy. Like that's how I got the job with Ryan. That's how I got the job with Mike Diller when I first started. Like, I mean, that is really underrated. Is just having the balls to send which, an email or, or a text or something. Which letter for Mike did you write? I didn't write a letter for Mike. I worked uh, at the Elevation Group for him. Oh, so like right, like straight out of college, I graduated in 2012 um, and moved down to Austin literally that that May. So, yeah. It's crazy. I love that. I love fun stories like that. The other one that I was actually going to say real quickly was, shit, there was another like little side story that I remember I was actually going to mention. I'll come back to you. Oh, that was it. Like asking people, um, just walking up to him saying, hey, uh, can I interview you? Can I, you know, chat to you? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I had freaking. Uh, do you know who Bill uh, Shuley is, or Shuley? I think it's. I've got. I got to spell his name. I got to say his name correctly. Or Shly. S C H L E Y. I don't know him. Uh, dude, I might have seen him, but dude, he's like really fucking awesome. Like he's like a next level kind of guy. He works more in brand than he does in copy. But he wrote a book called The mm-hmm. Microscript Rules. Um. This is a little fun fact for you guys. He's actually going to be on the show just simply because I sent him an email going, I fucking love your book. Can I actually interview you? And his response was, this is on a Sunday. I sent this to him. He goes, dude, I'm in Mexico. This is awesome. Um, yeah, let me send you an advanced copy of the second version of my book. And yeah, I'll just get on your show. I was like, what? <laughs> this was really just an email I sent saying, can I interview you? And it turned See? into, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I'll just send you my book and a few other things as well. And it wasn't anything fa- like you didn't send an email that was like, hi, I'm a deal Marcy and I've got a podcast with a hundred thousand listeners, but it was like, it was, um, we're talking now, right? Um, <laughs> no. it, it exactly. was legit the other way as well. Like, it, 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 <laughs> and that's the, that, that's the crazy thing. Cause I mean, I, I know some guys who who've started podcasts and they've interviewed like crazy names like Boss Rutten and, and was me. you know, like, like big, big names, right? Yeah. Dude, that was actually me that you were, that mentioned that, like, interviewed Boz. Well, I was thinking of another guy, so maybe Boz is just a whore. Yeah, pretty much. Are you talking about Paul Karch? <laughs> what? Are you talking about Paul? Paul Karch, yeah. He introduced me, Boz. No, it was uh, it, Luis. Luis. Luis Carlingdon. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. No, Boz is a whore. Don't ever let him know that I said that because you'll kick the living shit out of me. Like, because um, when I fly to LA, I'm actually going to be sparring with him. Your kidneys are t- oh wait what? <laughs> I used to fight Muay Thai like pro. I actually like com- I actually trained with um, Ramon Decker's before he died. Wow. Yeah. So like, I mean, when I, when I still going to get kidneys exploded, but oh yeah. Pretty, why say I can actually kick? Li- why say I can kick living hell out of most people? I'm actually not kidding. It's I actually enjoy a good fight. It's just, how, how long have you been doing Muay Thai? Uh, I did Muay Thai from the age of twelve until I was twenty four, and now I just teach. Um, and for the last four years, I've been doing jiu-jitsu. Just, you know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the, on the side just for fun. And it's actually nice. my full-time thing that I do. I'm assuming you do Thai boxing as well. No, I, I, I've been done martial arts in a long time. I was that nerdy kid with karate. My, my wife's the cool martial artist. Like, she did, she did Krav Maga uh, since she was very young. Um, and then trained people until about 20, 22. Um, and then kind of retired from that done as done uh, Muay Thai and BJJ since then. So, Oh, who's she training? She, uh, we were training out in Colorado. We haven't found someone out in LA where we've started. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Now, you're in the hotbed of the, wait, what area of LA mm-hmm. do you live in? You're in Marina Del Rey, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right on the West coast. Okay. So if you're in Marina Del Rey, what's a really like name three neighborhoods really close to you? Uh, Venice is just North of us. Um, Culver City is just east. 
and uh, I mean, Santa Monica is right north of Venice. So, I mean, Playa so, del Rey and stuff south. But So, dude, you've essentially got Jeff Glover that's down in Culver City, a okay. Pentagon, who are fucking crazy animals. I love those motherfuckers. Okay. You've got a 10th Planet gym not too far from there as well. But you also have um, in Venice, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Kron Gracie's gym is in Venice. Mm. Um, and Hicks and Gracie's gym is in Venice. And then I've got to look all these stuff up. I've got to look at all this stuff up because it's been a while since I've actually looked at the gyms. But you've got like a lot of great stuff. Plus, I think there's a couple of Gracie gyms up that way as well. And a Machado gym as well. So you. Ten Planet's the one that Joe Rogan's at, right? Or he trains at sometimes? Which one? Uh, is that 10th Planet or does he go somewhere else? He trains at 10th Planet from time to time, but he um, he's either at Machado, like Jean-Jacques Machado's gym, or ten, uh, Eddie's 10th Planet gym. Um, both are really good places. But yeah, kind of like backtracking. Sorry, just granted, we're, we're going to cover this and get into why this all works into business because it's like it, it does work out. But essentially, one of the cool things I really love is, yeah, you kind of show up hat in hand. Sometimes you... Like one of the ways I'd say that you get one of the bigger people, like I got Bill and um, a few other guests that are coming this year. Um, literally, one of the questions you get asked often is, How big is your listenership? And again, like, you know, I send the stats and this is what we plan to do. But more importantly, I kind of just want to interview you because you're a cool person and I'm a huge fan of your work. And this is the mm-hmm. stuff I love. The listenership and all that shit is just more or less, honestly, it's true numbers, but it's what's in it for them. The rest mm-hmm. of the other stuff is kind of like the hook because they have they have like 10 people a day emailing them going hey my, my site has a million listeners or whatever it is do you want me like to hook you up they're like cool but are you going to be a boring conversation or a fun conversation yeah yeah i mean that's same with any ad copy as well yeah yeah i mean i i so when i train my students i basically i try to beat the templates out of them you know because people have just spent so much time thinking that every sales conversation is 17 pieces. Um, and, and, and there's, it just ruins the flow and the actual conversation between people. And so the, the way that, the way that you do it, it's just, I, and I wanted to comment on that because I, I've noticed that at least for my career, the, the up leveling points are the points where I just kind of go for it and, and ask when nobody else would yeah, or, exactly. or when it seems weird, you know? I mean, that's how I got Bond Halbert at my event, you know, now I'm working, working in stuff with him. So nice. it's like, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's not even like a, it's not even like a name drop thing, dude. It's like a, oh yeah, no, it's like, like people, people, experience. people just, yeah, it's people just don't realize how human these people are and how, I mean, a lot of them are just, honestly, this, this shit's hard and, and people are lonely and, and sometimes you just want to talk to cool people who aren't out to get something from you. Oh yeah. You know? Sure. I mean, dude, like not being able to travel to the States for a while because of like all the shit that's been going on in my personal stuff over here, nothing illegal, just there was a little, the, the government lost my passport essentially so I couldn't fly out. Mm. But it's crazy. Like the moment I come to the US later this year, um, fuck yeah, I'm meeting everyone. And I know for a fact that a lot of, a lot of the legends I look up to who are friends of mine are like, mm-hmm. when are you getting your ass to the US? We really want to hang out with you. Like Ryan has been bullying me to come to Austin, Texas. For mm. like six years now, he's like, "When are you coming to? When are you coming to the US? When can you come hang out? Seriously, I'm not kidding. When? Yeah, <laughs> it's weird, but okay. The kind of jumping back off of that, just the idea of asking is something a lot of people can't do, and I think mm-hmm. that becomes a real big problem. 
Mm-hmm. So you, you got, there is an art to asking, in my opinion, but you know, that's my own thoughts. I think there is, and I think you can, you can learn it, but a big part of it comes from your mentality around it to start. You know, like if you try and teach this like four step, you know, process on how to have an actual conversation with a human, then you're going to sound like an alien. <laughs> you know, you're you're going to be following the script and talking to people, and 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 people can sniff it away. So, yeah, I I don't know. I wish I I wish I could bottle that and like and and, and teach that to people, but um, just the mentality around trying to be cool and trying to know a person. And then going, okay, I also need to show them what's in it for them. I also need to like, you know, bridge, you know, make some rapport on things that we're, you know, connected with, that kind of shit. That's actually not difficult. I mean, that's actually something I teach, believe it or not. Like, when How I do you do it? There's so many ways. So like, you kind of alluded to the 17 process. That's kind of like, remember I did that training for, for Ryan on the 17.5 checklist and writing really good copy. Mm-hmm. So that's been the basis of whatever I do anytime I write anything out. So whenever I teach that model process, I always tell people, here's the shit you want to model off, like how mm-hmm. you have to do it. But you'll realize that everything's wrapped in a story. Right. And that's the way I work on everything is based on the story idea. But more importantly, how you actually build report and be there, it's kind of the supplement data. So mm-hmm. the way I put it, the way I can best explain it is the checklist I created for all the stuff I essentially give it to people and that is the skeleton they need to follow. Mm-hmm. The other added explanations and footnotes, like how to actually know what's in it for them, how to actually appear true and honest, how to find yourself out, how to find your own voice. All that stuff is like the mm-hmm. muscles, the sinew, the tendons, the, the ligaments, the blood, the heart, the organs, everything. Mm-hmm. And essentially, once you have this idea of how it's built up, you I now give an explanation on each one. So for instance, like what's one of the things that you want me to like explain Clearly, because like my, it's so nebulous. I just need one thing to explain. So explain how you can help a person who seems who's who's afraid to just go out and ask oh, for okay. the things they want. Uh, explain how you shift their mentality okay. to yeah to, to being able to ask. Okay, quite simply, it's just a series of exercises. Mm-hmm. Like one of the ones I always did because when I started out, when I first started out, when I was eighteen, so shit that was like a decade ago um i was writing for the dating market mm-hmm. and one of the big big guys in the dating market really influenced me it was a guy called brad p and i fucking love that guy if i ever meet him i'm gonna give him a hug and just fucking high five the shit out of him the guy's amazing um gotten with him greatly just a really nice guy but he had this thing on social anxiety because even though i'm an extra i had social anxiety and mm-hmm. i adapted the same thing from clinical psychology he was a psychology student um, and implement it, it into other areas of my life, and I teach the same thing. Essentially, you start off with two two pages, two blank pages. This isn't his methodology. It's one I adapted to, and I'll explain which one's his. Um, mm-hmm. So the first piece of blank paper is all the reasons I shouldn't ask for what I want, and mm-hmm. all the reasons by asking what I want helps more people than myself. Mm-hmm. Because... Asking, okay, so like one of the ones I got one of my students to do was um, his whole his whole drive was I asked him, what drives you? He was like, oh, I want to do this. I was like, okay, who else drives you? Like, what's the real reason? And we got, actually got to the end. It's very similar to me. It's the reason why I took him on was because he had a very similar drive where he wanted to make his mom proud. Mm. You know, he wanted to look after his mom. That was That's my big thing. I always want to look after my mom. Um, 
And I asked him, okay, so you being afraid of asking for help, for asking for clients, asking to interview, asking to be interviewed, asking for whatever it is that you want in your life, asking for the date, all of that, how does that, what, what does that get you by not asking? And who is it impacting by you, by you asking? If you ask them, they say yes. What's the impact? And he was like, okay, well, if I ask for this, you know, this job or for this sales piece or whatever it is, they say yes. That's money in my account. I'm like, great. Now, what comes next? They're like, who does that impact? He goes, it impacts my mom's health mm. because it means that I can look after it better. It impacts my my income. It means I'm no longer struggling. It means I'm no longer doing this. So there was enough. Like, first of all, there's leverage over why it works by writing it down and access the part of the brain that actually remembers shit, which is why we tell people to write things down by hand when they're writing copy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you move on to the next stage and the next stage is practice. And the way that I always do it is um, I get people to stand in front of a mirror, like in the bathroom mm-hmm. usually where it's nice and quiet. And before they get on the sales call, like 10 minutes or like before they actually get into any kind of going out, any kind of situation where they know they're going to ask for something, Mm-hmm. Um, I get them to mentally prep by actually just asking for the thing they want for about 10 minutes before the time that's there. And the reason I get them to do it is because it becomes habitual over 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. If, so, if the question is, what's your charge? And you say, bam, whatever your charge is, and you just say what it is. Or if you just say, what, how can I, or like, how can we make this work? Instead of saying, I don't know, you take charge of that situation. So that's mm-hmm. steps one and two. Step three is now putting that in the real world. And the best place, if you're a guy or even if you're a girl, doesn't really matter. Starbucks is my favorite place to try this in. And mm-hmm. the reason is because you're globally shopping clerks, sales assistants, baristas usually are very nice to you, like in mm-hmm. general. And one of the things I always tell people is people ask you, and I don't know if you've ever done this, ask someone tomorrow or any time that you go for a coffee, ask the person sincerely, how are you? How are you today? Mm-hmm. Ask them that before they ask you, because what I found is people will, will ask that question, but it's like, oh yeah, are you okay? How are you? And it's like so dead and flat. There's no energy behind it. It's like, I, I'm just saying this for the shit of it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're having a horrible day. Um, but if you ask sincerely, they'll answer. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. found, I found, especially with like the amount of times I'm out, it's like people say, okay, I'll ask someone, like, how's your day going? And they're like, oh, my day's going really good. Or, you know what, I'm having a pretty terrible day today. Instead mm-hmm. of like, oh, okay, cool. That sucks, walk away. I'm like, Tell me what's up, what's happening? How come your day's horrible? And they're like, oh, I'd rather not talk about it. I was like, that's fine, but you know what? I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. And mm-hmm. they're just so much nicer to me. And what that does is that starts breaking down mm-hmm. the initial ask because I'm asking them how they are. So it's small mm-hmm. baby steps moving towards that. It gets comfortable with speaking to people, asking them and shifting their mentality to say, most times people who are afraid to ask, afraid to ask it's not they're afraid to ask, they're afraid of the consequence. Because mm-hmm. they believe in their mind the consequence is so negative and die, they will end in death. Yeah. So, like, building up that little stepping stone above each level, um, mm-hmm. and it takes about a week to do all of this, it gets them com- complete novice to being able to ask anyone anything, anywhere, anytime. And yeah. then the advanced master stuff, which my buddy Chase Hughes, who's coming back on the show in a couple of weeks, actually, um, he's, like, the king, in my opinion, of nonverbal communication. And yeah. what he taught me was um, how to actually ask for anything for free, like ask for free coffee, ask for free tea, ask for a free ice cream, ask for um, whatever it is that you want. Just ask for it on anywhere and see how far you can get before someone says no, or mm-hmm. I need to go speak to my manager, or I need to go do this. 
and he has like this creative set of words that does that. So that's basically my methodology. It's like it's practice, continual, and application. So you understand the skeletal, you understand the organs and how they all work, and then you put it into practice by moving the skeleton around. Yeah, and that's essentially how you get over the whole feeling. And then when you're in writing advertising to convince people to do things or persuade mm-hmm. them, you're just used to asking the right questions because you create a zero sum game where the answer is never no. The answer is either yes, maybe, or who do I know? Right. So that's a, that's an awesome response because I feel like it's super well thought out. But one of the things that jumped out to me on that was the second step is practice. Yeah. You know, like the first step is, okay, cool. Whip out your two pieces of paper, write down your stuff, get your thoughts out of your head and onto paper so you can see them. But the second step is practice. And the second, you know, that's such an integral, important part of that whole thing. And I mean, I see it with my students, you probably see it with the people that you work with, your clients, all that. The, the, the switch that goes on in someone's mind when they go from, you know, alone writing on a piece of paper to actually practicing and doing something is, it's night and day. Yep. So, so I, I mean, that's what I've seen. Yeah, Just, no, that, that is exactly why it works. But I'm curious, like, what is your actual process? Because now you know mine. I'm curious to what yours is. Well, so for, I mean, from that specific question, you know, like how do you convince someone or not convince, how do you teach someone to get over the fear of asking? Um, I don't, I don't focus on personal development as much. Uh, I know a lot of programs do, but when I, when I teach my writers, I'm very strict. Like you're learning copywriting from me, right? This is, and and we're going to go into some psychology on, on the buyer. We're going to go into some deep stuff that I think is important to write the message, but Overall, we are writing copy and we're focusing on um, your ability to get a message across to a person to take action, right? right. But the, re- the reason I ask is because a lot of the time, because I, I teach a process where like, we do a, a shit ton of research up, up front and then we, we write that very like structured, but it, it's loose but structured because I want them to get an initial first draft out that is as close to actual human communication as possible right so I, I teach an, I teach an exercise where they're where they're supposed to pretend to literally sit in a chair across from their ideal prospect and talk to them yeah. and and just that whole thing is the first draft and then I bring in you know templates uh, you know like the the steps and all that kind of stuff later as part of the editing and refining phase because I, I believe personally that the when right after you've done the research, and you're you're ready to write that first draft is golden like a lot of people's first drafts are crap but i I genuinely think that the crap is is where the gold is because you're closest to the prospect you haven't overthought it yet you haven't tried to second guess your words you're you know you're you're emotional especially if you're if you're doing the whole thing at once so that first draft is incredibly important for me. And, and the biggest issue that I see with my students when they come in is that they view copywriting as this very technical labyrinthian process when in reality, it's just really good communication with another person on paper or on a video. Oh, and, and so what you were saying about that, like practice, like talk to people, like get connected with them. That, that is a breakthrough that, that I see with a lot of students. Like as soon as I can 
change their mind from, I have to add these steps to my copy, otherwise it's not good, to I need to have a conversation with a human. And once that, and once they start looking at their copy like that, everything changes for them. Because, I, yeah. I mean, and I think that's where the best copywriters actually get their skill from. It seems to me that, you know, like the Carltons, the Benz Vangas, the Halberts, all those people, they were incredible storytellers, but they were also incredible communicators that loved people. They, they, they just liked people. Um, maybe, I mean, they, they might've like hated humanity, some of them, but, but they, 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 yeah, but, but they had a, they had a fascination and an appreciation for people. Oh, massively. I mean, that's something that a lot of people really don't understand. And something Bond told me about was how much like his dad loved people, but also simultaneously was a bit of a misanthrope. Um, yeah. People hate for times. But I will say this much. When it comes down to it, um, and this is kind of something that I realized, I think it was around the same time you and I first met, was being able to verbalize copy on the fly. Mm -hmm. So when I go through the editing process or whenever I do anything... I sit down and actually read the copy out loud. And mm -hmm. again, yep. Carlton yeah. said this, Carlton said this, like, I remember right at the start of my career, cause he was my first mentor mm -hmm. when he had zero money. Um, his first thing that he said on his blog was two things Halbert did. And one thing that he did, then he goes, it took him about 15 to 15 or 20 years where he could write a first draft. And that was it. It was just perfect on the first draft. Mm -hmm. Again, the moment I read this, I was kind of like, fuck yes, that's my goal. Um, right. It's just become that thing. But the other two Because things, editing is the devil. Oh my God, I fucking hate editing. <laughs> I don't edit this show. Like, people don't realize. I The mm -hmm. only thing I do is I change the sound quality to make sure it comes in clear. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the only thing. We just do that and we upload it and have, like, our team put it together and put it online. I don't touch any editing process and nothing is edited. Um, even my videos. I mean, for love of God, I've gone off on tangents like this mm -hmm. one enough time so we just keep them in but what i was going to say was like um editing is the devil but also the other two things that halbert did was number one uh if you're unsure about your copy and what halbert used to do he'd go out to his bar and he'd read his copy out loud and if anyone actually if, if they go oh that's a really good copy that's really good sales that's yeah if the answer was less than where can i get that can i talk to you and buy that he was like this copy is shit i need to go back and rewrite it because if they said the copy is good, uh, I was like, oh, that sounds really good. Or that's really interesting. His thing was like, I don't really give a shit about those people. I want only the people who are like, I want to buy this right now. So that's yep. the second. The third thing was um, actually not a Halbert thing. He mentioned it, but it was actually a uh, Eugene Schwartz thing, which is entering the conversation midway through someone's, uh, in the conversation in someone's mind midway through and yep. doing it again. Um, and if you guys really aren't shy about doing this, and I suggest that you kind of like uh, get oh, get over yourself and just go do it for a moment, um, <laughs> sit by a bar and yeah. join a random conversation for reals. Like mm -hmm. you'd be surprised. Like I've done that, and I did that with two of my friends two years ago. They're two of my best friends right now, uh, but they're moving to Australia. She like this girl Ebony. She was basically sat uh, next to me in Starbucks, and I was writing. I was actually writing the sales letter. Uh, for mm -hmm. a friend's dating product for the female market mm -hmm. and her friend Rachel came in and sat down and started talking about hey I don't know which job I'm going to work in I don't know if I want this coffee shop or that coffee shop the house good here but the people are good here and blah, blah 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 and halfway through I just stopped and turned and said I'm really sorry I'm actually finding it really hard to um 
to pay attention just quite simply let me ask you a really daft question which job do you want more like which place do you like more which staff do you like more she's like oh like the other thing and just like had this immediate conversation she <laughs> actually said to me way later down the line she was like i don't know what it was but the moment that you started having that conversation specifically if you stopped just interrupted us or talked about anything else that was non-relevant in that moment i would have told you to fuck off but the fact that you actually just came into the conversation that we were talking about i i had to continue it on because it was you didn't just come in like yeah yep. no let me change the yeah. conversation like let me keep that conversation going and get an answer to you so that's one and do that in bars it's mm-hmm. brilliant the other thing i'd say is if you're struggling to write copy um I, I do this all the time. I actually find, like, the way I do my market research is completely different from what most people do, from what I found. Oh, that, that, this is interesting because I'm, I'm a research fanatic. So oh, I'm, I know I'm you are. You excited are excited about this. I've seen this shit, like, with you. I love I love the way that you do your research. My way of doing my research, from what I've seen, I'm not saying I do it uniquely 100%, so I've never had anyone else say they do anything similar yet. I mean, you could do the exact same fucking shit. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually find out who my ideal customers by looking at databases and going oh shit that's your ideal customer great that's the person that buys the most mm-hmm. then i immerse myself in their in their pop culture mm-hmm. in like i'll watch the movies they recommend that are their favorite movies i will read the books that they love i will hang out in spots and places that they talk about on their social media mm-hmm. i will do all the stuff that's needed from a perspective of buying and selling like what would make my customer buy and i would basically become my customer because you know voice acting you kind of get into the headspace of like how your actual customer thinks mm-hmm. and what i do is i try and find that person and say hey do you mind if, if i interview you and record it for 10 minutes the other mm-hmm. one is like i'm going to talk to you about this product and give them the full rundown of what i'm doing it's like i just want to verbalize it at the very end i'm going to ask for your opinion and just tell me what you think so I verbalize mm-hmm. the copy out to them. I say, discover how, blah, 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 blah. Do the whole little rundown thing that I do. And then at the end of it, I'm like, okay. I start recording them. Like, how is that? Would you buy that product? Or would you just sit there and kind of wonder there's something missing? And if mm-hmm. there's something missing, what is it? And they would tell me. And once I have an answer, ta-da. I basically move on and transcribe the copy, edit it out, send it through. Mm-hmm. Or I write it out by hand and sort it out that way. Which really interesting. interesting. That's my process. What's your What's your process like? So I've never done that, uh, but it's it's interesting because I I read somewhere I forget who it was, but someone um, shit. You no, know, okay, this is actually really funny. I'm not sure if the story is true, but uh, Eugene Schwartz when he wrote the the letter for boardroom, um, that the the really famous one that he said like he wrote in a night and and held on to for like two weeks and then turned it in that one. Um, he I, I actually heard that he took a sales call that uh, that Bill Bonner had done and transcribed it, cleaned it up a little bit and literally sold it back to him. Yep. And that's what, and that's, and that was that famous letter that converted really well. And I'm like, what the fuck? Because what, what you do with your client or what you do with those ideal prospects and that just seems very congruent for like, for me, um, I, if I, if I know the market really well, um, I'll probably start writing right away in terms of like, okay, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think this product and this market, I'm going to just put that onto a piece of paper and it's super dirty and like, I'll never show that to another living human. But 
that so that's what I start with if I know the market. If I don't know the market, then I follow my steps. So I I try to nail down a hyper specific like individual person that's in the ideal market, just like you do. Uh, but then I go deep on their psychology, and I'll do that by following them on social, by you know looking at the forums and Reddit's and and Tumblers and Pinterest, like whatever that target market frequents. Um, and then I I'm gonna dig into the competition a lot too. Because I think that nine times out of 10, the competition is not doing things correctly, unless you're in a really competitive direct response marketplace like dating or, you know, supplements, that kind of thing. Um, I'll go there, I'll see what the competition's doing and what that kind of reaction is getting from the marketplace. And then I'm going to position my stuff against them. And that's so I either do it very formulaically or um, very raw if I know the marketplace to start off and then go from there. Because I, I, you know, I'm going back to the same thing I just talked about, but I'm really, really keen on the um, the initial output that a copywriter has. Once you've once you've done your research or once you've uh, come in contact with what you need to do, that initial output is golden. So I try to capture as much of that as possible. See, that's really interesting that you go down that route. I actually don't do that with my clients. Like mm-hmm. my, my process for writing and working with clients is so completely different. It's essentially. I want to get, um, I essentially, what's I essentially just want to like, uh, I interview all my clients mm-hmm. for about 30 minutes to 45 minutes because I want to get an imprint of their voice because I want to mm-hmm. have all the stuff in their voice, which is kind of always a trademark thing for me. Right. Um, cause I don't want anyone else to think that, oh shit, you know, Lucas doesn't sound like Lucas anymore. Cause th- like the big lesson for me was Frank kind of like, 2008 to 2011 sounded it was frank writing his emails 2011 right. onwards it's just been like horrible copyright not horrible some are good copyrights but i mean like mostly you can tell it's not frank mm-hmm. it's, it's a horrible conversation in the sense of like it isn't him anymore it's someone else you can tell it's someone else writing this because it doesn't have the same energy um so my process right. is i want i want to nail down that voice because i don't want my customers my clients customers to actually feel that there's different people there right um what I want them to believe is they took a copywriting course and they got better at it. That's what I want them to really believe. So that's okay. the first two things. The, the, well, the first thing is to interview them. The second, the process is I actually don't sit down to write anything. I don't write rough drafts. It's really weird. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'll, I write a final draft, send it to my editor to actually um, correct my mistakes. Because when I say mistakes, I have dyslexia, so it's I do sometimes forget words. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do misspell words sometimes i put full stops and apostrophes in the wrong place so it it, it just fucks me up sometimes so i basically just send it off to my editor yeah. bless him um hopefully he's recovered by now uh he, was sent, he, he wasn't feeling that good he, he ended up in hospital a couple of weeks ago so i was just like making sure he's he's doing fine well but like i usually send him work and he edits gets it back to me with like a bunch of places for me to go back and like fill out and sort out and then right. i just send it off to the client and, the, and that's basically my process. Before I start writing anything, it's I have to sit in that person's head. I have to study all the social media, go through all the social, the pop culture and everything. And that all goes on for about two weeks. So about mm-hmm. four days I spend time studying my client's voice and then mm-hmm. my client's voice and then about 10 days studying their best prospects, customers, whatever it is, get that psychology right down. And then mm-hmm. when it's time to write, it's time to write and I just go for it. But I agree with you. With Interesting. That. Like your methodology is really good. It's methodical. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you don't actually hit burnout phases personally, in my opinion. I think like, do you mm-hmm. ever get that where you actually hit like a phase where you're like, 
I don't know if I want to write this today. Um, I used to because I used to take on more work than than I was comfortable doing. Uh, like like when I first like my first two two years, maybe two and a half years of working, uh, I took every job that came. I you know worked for whatever, and I just I filled up my schedule. And then actually, this is an interesting story. So uh, the short version is that my uh, my father in law's dog. Uh, this is what caused me to like stop doing this to myself, right? So stop burning myself out. My father-in-law's dog uh, was sick, and they took it to the vet. And in the process of trying to figure out what was wrong with it, they ruptured the dog's bladder, right? Yeah, so, so, and apparently there was an infection inside the bladder already uh, with like stones and and stuff like that. So the entire inside of her body was coated in septic crap, and when that happens to a dog, they, they have like a 90% death rate or something like that. And they were, they were going to put her down. And my, my wife called them. She was crying, but for some reason, my wife had this feeling that, uh, like they, they couldn't put her down. And, and I, I trust my wife's intuition more than I trust pretty much anything. And so, and so I'm like, okay, they can't put her down. But the, we called and asked and the surgery was going to cost $15,000. And at the time, uh, at least $15,000, sorry, because like they didn't know about any sort of after treatment or whatever. And at the time that was an absolute no go for, for my father-in-law. And, uh, but I'm like, you know what I'm going and Jesus, I've never told this story like out loud. Um, so I'm, I'm stumbling over it, but, uh, so I, I was at an army drill at the time. It's, this was a, a insane confluence of events. So I was in an army drill. I was up in Wyoming. My wife was in Colorado. And, um, and so I was separated. I got a text, I got a call. She was crying. Um, like she was at the, at the vet with the dog as they were talking about putting her down. And she, my wife had the feeling of no, this, this, she doesn't need to be put down. Like she, she looks alive. She looks like she can pull through. She, she just had this feeling and I'm not there. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I, I'm going to do something so that we can make this happen. And so I said, uh, basically like, we're going to figure this out and tell your dad to go through with the surgery and I'm going to take care of it. At the time I didn't have 15 grand sitting around. Like I'm, I've been pretty successful with copywriting, but even, even successful copywriters, it's kind of hard to find $15,000 for something random right away. Yep. Right. Um, and so, and so I didn't have 15 grand to just drop on a random surgery. But what I did was I wrote, uh, I wrote a post in the cult of copy job board and you can probably still go back and find this, uh, just search Akira in the cult of copy job board, A K I R A or A A K I R A. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody got it. Yeah. Um, and, and so I made that post and I offered a, an insane deal for a VSL, like to write a VSL for people. And I told the story and I basically closed close to about 30 people into, into that deal. And it was a, it was a crazy deal. It was like, I'll write it this fast for this much money. Um, and, and it was just obscene. I didn't think through the process of getting it done. Right. Uh, I just knew that I had to make a crazy offer to get people interested. And I wasn't going to do one of those like GoFundMe, like 
you know, please, you know, sob story, help me kind of thing. I wanted to exchange some sort of value. Uh, because I this post as well. Yeah. Um, and so this, that post worked. I, I, I think we got like $26,000 or something like that in, in a, in a four day period or something, something like that. So, uh, and we closed about 30 or so VSLs and, and all of that money went to my, my father-in-law to pay for the surgery and the follow-ups. Right. So it was, it was gone. Um, but now I had 30 VSLs to fulfill on with crazy timelines on each one. And I would, I would never take that action back in a million years. I would do it again in a heartbeat if I had to. Um, but having 30 VSLs to write for 30 new clients in markets that ranged from, I had a, I had a dog training one. I had a, uh, I had an STD test. I had a, yeah, like, like a, like a direct sale STD test. Um, I had like, like, uh, essential oils, uh, information public, like I, I had it all right. It was these insane markets, uh, that I would never choose to go into myself if I had, you know, a client selection and, and I learned at that point that I could do that and I never wanted to do that again, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I completed those jobs. That, that, that's actually what kind of kicked off my mentorship program because I, I was having trouble completing them on time. So I brought in some people to help me to write the rough drafts. And, uh, and that turned into my whole program that now almost has 100 people that have gone through it. So a lot of good came from that bad thing. And the dog, obviously, like you can, you can kind of see the story. The dog survived. The dog recovered. It's, it's 100% now. It's going to live for another 10 years. So... You know, it was, everything worked out super great, but that period of time taught me that I, I, cause I burned out hard, 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 hard after that thing. Um, after completing the last VSL, I don't think I did another copy assignment for months. Um, and, and it was, it was rough. I had, so that the short, ver- sorry, that was the long version, but the, That's okay. The, uh, the point is that I think copywriters are capable of a lot more than we think we are, but, um, in dire circumstances and you, when you do something like that, you realize what you want to do versus what you're capable of. And it made me extremely self-aware of the type of life that I wanted to live. And, and from that point on, I've only done work with clients that I enjoy working with and that I feel confident about timelines. And so I haven't really had to deal with burnout since that crash. See, that's good because like my burnouts are a little bit different to that. Mm-hmm. They're not from, they're not from uh, overworking with clients or whatever. Mm-hmm. My burnouts come from, because um, th- this is what people don't realize. There are different types of copyrights out there. Mm-hmm. Like, and I equate it to, if you look at the four legends of copywriting, like four of the big legends, you mm-hmm. got Jay Abraham, you got your Gary Halbert, Eugene Schwartz, and I'd say your uh, Gary Bensavenka, right? Right. You got four different types of copywriters there, in my opinion. You got the Jay Abraham, which is super calculating and calculated. Uh, like, I work with Jay, and I can tell you right now, he literally glosses over every single word that is actually not gloss over he goes through every single word that's on the page mm. and he's like i think this word could be a different word i don't like the way this sounds i want this other word replaced and like it's like a single word right is something he won't like so he's very methodical and the way that he is 
And then you have your Gary Halberts, who's quite a, who's quite brash, but very knowledgeable. Right. And this is someone that you can tell writes from emotion. Jay writes calculated. I wouldn't say he's emotionless. I'd say that he's more into he's he's very in tune with his emotions, but he can control them. Mm-hmm. Gary doesn't do that. Gary Halbert, very much an emotional copywriter, is essentially yeah. crazy when he writes. Fucking love him for that. Then mm-hmm. you have someone like Eugene Schwartz. Again, a practice methodical writer, but more importantly, he's what I would call someone that's a little bit more of the nurturing. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's very much like from what I've been told from guys like Brian Katz and others, he's very much a nurtured kind of guy in the sense of that he always wanted to make sure he could help people. Mm-hmm. He was very caring. I mean, the guy didn't actually take a paycheck from boardroom for a while because all he said was, I want you to guys, to guys uh, instead of paying me, why don't you guys uh, run the ads I write and that's my payment for like my charity or something. Right. And it was quite crazy. He'd like totally do stuff like that. Then you, yeah. had, your, then you had your fourth, which was Ben Savenger. Ben Savenger was the type, from what I've been told, again, I'm completely going on like hearsay, I've never spoken to Ben Savenger. He's kind of the quiet guy behind the scenes at times, but he's also the guy that, like, if he needs something done, he wants it done by yesterday. Mm. Like, very, very hard hitting. And what I mean by burnout is I'm quite emotional, like, I'm an emotional writer, meaning in the sense of if I'm not emotionally into it, I can't write. Right. I'm completely disabled from the writing aspect, which is why anytime I work with a client, I give them a six-week turnaround. Right. They're like, why six weeks? I was like, um, they're like, just simply because what I like to do is, uh, I like to get into my client's head and I, and I don't want to rush what I create because I've rushed things before and it never goes well. Mm-hmm. Like to give you an idea, I wrote something for someone. It took me three, four weeks to actually write the letter for them. Uh, we launched it as a continuity program at 50 pounds, which is essentially $75 a month. Right. We did 74% conversions on a list that hadn't been mailed for like six months. Damn. Yeah, like front-end sales directly to a continuity. And retention rate has actually kept up for the last two months with the same people in there. Like they haven't actually canceled the subscriptions. Damn. Yeah. And that that's... takes time. That, t- that takes time. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's, that's crazy numbers. I mean, even to warm traffic, that's, that's awesome. Dude, like, yeah, if, after the show, if you've got time, I'll run you through some of the craziest stats I've actually pulled off, which is kind of one of the blessings and curses. I was telling Ben Settle about this. Uh, one of the curses I have is if I do an av- an industry average conversion rate on a warm, cold, or um, lukewarm, warm, and uh, cold traffics, like, diff- depending on what it is, if I do the industry average for those traffic models, I actually get yelled at by my clients because they don't like it. Because they're like, yeah. I was expecting this other thing that you do because I've seen the results. And like, guys, those, those are not typical. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but, but, then, but then they're like, but it is typical because you still out, like, to give you an idea, just people listen, just a fun little idea. Uh, I wrote an ad for, and not, unfortunately I'm not allowed to say what it is, but I can tell the industry was uh, in the health and fitness market. I wrote a letter for them um, to a cold list. The industry average for a cold market, completely ice cold, doesn't know them from Adam, the whole lot, three, maybe 5% if you're really good. Mm-hmm. Right? And they had been like knocking out the ballpark 2.53 all the time. I came in, I did something at 10% for them. Mm-hmm. All I did is I changed their ad copy and like the headline opening paragraph and close. Three things, that's all I changed. 
and they're like, why is it so, like, what was the basic size? I just said, honestly, it's just like little tweaks of, that you can see after years of doing this. And essentially, <clears throat> that that's quite commonplace, but they went and told everyone else about all the other results I got, and now <clears throat> if I do anything below that, I get I get crucified for it. It's like, well, you did it for Tom, why wouldn't you do it for me? I'm like, I'm sorry? <laughs> Market buys? People like them more? I, I, I can't really explain it. Yeah. That's... Go. <laughs> well, I was going to say like that, that's the problem with being a magician, you know, when, when you're, when you're able to create those types of results, then all of a sudden everyone else expects no less. So that, that is an interesting, uh, that, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's crazy weird how that happens, but something I really want to ask you here. So let's not use breakthrough advertising or scientific ad Let, let's get away from like the very very obvious books for copywriting or business mm -hmm. books or whatever it is but i want you to name three books and here's what i mean i want you to name three non-fiction non books and mm -hmm. one fiction book or movie so four books or what could be three books maybe a fourth or a movie that you would recommend everyone listening to the show to go check out okay um and I'm assuming to help them improve copywriting or kind of help improve just conversions. Anything. Just it anything. Be, and it could be any books that you would personally recommend. And the only reason I take away Eugene Schwartz and all the original like copywriting, like the, you know. Because everybody's heard those, right? Exactly. I kind of want people to see like a different perspective, even though I love Eugene Schwartz. All right. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to really hook you up here because I have books on my desk. Right. And, and so, one book that I was recommended, actually, I don't, you probably interviewed him already and he might have recommended this one too, but uh, the book Mastery, not by uh, Robert Greene. But the um, one with the George, George, George Leonard. That's the one. George Leonard, Mastery, The Keys to Success and Long-Term Fulfillment. Um, if you've got it recommended before, then basically take this as another reason to go buy it and read it because I think it's the best explanation of what the process of getting better at something actually looks like. And, and the, the takeaway, the biggest takeaway for me was looking at how it was more of a tiered system of improvement that required time rather than this like linear increase or anything like that. So mastery by George Leonard is the first one. Um, the second one nonfiction that I would recommend is deep work by Cal Newport and and to actually read that motherfucker, like actually go through the whole thing, read the whole thing, take your time to read the thing. Um, because the, the stuff that he talks about and the way that he illustrates the, the things he's bringing up, even just the way that other people have chosen to go about doing their deep work is incredibly insightful. And for me, the biggest takeaway wasn't that I need to focus more and get better at my craft, which is kind of, you know, like everybody should do that if you're in some sort of craft. But, but the, the nice thing was that he brought up so many different examples of how people were able to do that in their own lives, that it felt like my process was like, I was, a, I was more okay with my process rather than hating on myself for like not having a, you know, an hour and 17 minute morning routine, you know, or you know, like this kind of shit where, where you get down on yourself for not being this, you know, Jeff Bezos level of productivity. And instead, being okay with the fact that if you accomplish good work in your system, then you're then you're being productive. So that's that's a, the second one that I would recommend. 
And the the next one is one that I actually I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, yeah, right here. So by author David Halpern. Uh, it's called Inside the Nudge Unit. And this is actually a book that uh, basically he's a behavioral scientist and he talks about um, it, it has to do with business and marketing, but mostly like psychology and how people are subtly pushed in certain directions. Right. So it, I think that it is it's really interesting to see how people can be moved throughout their um, their daily lives. And so if you're a marketer and you want someone to buy your product, we live in a time where you're so capable of identifying people who are on some level of your buyer spectrum and then marketing to them at the level that they're at and nudging them nicely to go towards your product rather than what most of the traditional copywriters had to do like Schwartz and Halbert is they had to target you like a sniper rifle and then blast you with the best message they possibly could to get your attention and to, and, and basically that was it. Like if they didn't get you to do something, then all they still had was your name on a list and they could send you more mail, but they had to get you to take a big action, like being a lead or, uh, you know, opting in for a tripwire offer or buying a product. It was, it was very high impact. And, but inside the nudge unit and the way that the world works with pixels and, you know, things that can follow you around on the internet and data, uh, it's really, really fascinating as a copywriter because you have a much better chance of capturing a shitload more people. We're talking orders of magnitude more. So inside the nudge unit by David Helper. And those are my three nonfictions. Um, so what's the fictional movie slash book? <sighs> fiction. So I, I listen to and I read a lot of fiction. Um, and I, I would recommend just to read fiction in general if you don't already yep. because it's how to tell a story. Yep. Um, one of the authors that I really, really love is Brandon Sanderson. He, he tells a really good story. He's actually the guy who finished the Wheel of Time series for uh, Robert Jordan. Um and because Robert Jordan died before finishing it. So he finished that series, really well-known fantasy series, and then he's writing his own, which is, all of his books are fantastic, but my favorite version of the series, it uh, starts with the book, The Way of Kings. Huh. And Brandon Sanderson, The Way of Kings, it's big. I mean, it, you gotta be into epic fantasy. Which uh, I am, obviously. Yeah, so, uh, so I would check that out. And I love how he takes traditional fantasy tropes, modernizes them. Uh, he has really interesting uh, magic systems that are just not, you know, they're different from, from lots of other traditional types of things. So it really, it shows how you can take something that's, that feels familiar, but create it in a way that feels unique as well. And, and that's fascinating when you can, when you could bring both of those elements in, like I am in an epic fantasy universe that this person has created, but it's so unique to that person that, uh, I don't feel like I'm just rereading Lord of the Rings or that, you know, I am, you know, I'm, I'm in some sort of Harry Potter teen verse, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's familiar, but different. And my writing has improved dramatically since, uh, since listening and reading, uh, Brandon Sanderson, because He's just, he's very, very good at what he does. Do you like crime thrillers? I don't. 
Oh, Dallas. Don't. Yeah, I, I'm not a. So I, I tr I've tried numerous occasions to read like the uh, the Tom Clancy, the um, you know, like like sort of modern thriller mystery type stuff. Uh, not just Clancy, but you know, whoever the other um, like Tom Cruise is, plays him in a lot of different in, in the movies now. Like they, those oh, Jack like, Reacher. Jack Reacher, yeah. Um, I, I haven't been able to put myself into like the modern stuff. I think it's because of my army background. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I get that. I yeah. Get that. See, there is one person I'd recommend. If you ever were to read this book, if you ever to read any book, it's one book. It's a, it's a book series I recommend to every person I coach uh, and copy. And that is uh, to read The Crucifix Killer by Chris Carter. The Crucifix Killer. Yeah. Um, basically, it is based on a... He's a, he's a former LAPD um, criminal psychologist. Okay. So he's interviewed quite a few people that are you know, considered psychopaths or serial killers or whatever it is. Just a couple. And mm -hmm. he basically wrote his entire book on... The, the, the book is like so realistic. I mean, it's genuinely bloody gory. It's mm -hmm. it, it follows the um, ultraviolet crimes department unit. So okay this book is gory like if it's it's very descriptive and i'll give you guys a, an idea of exactly why this book is like just means so much to me when i first started reading this book in particular i was i gone through like a binge i think i posted on nlm at the time with ryan i just said something like um i can't I, like there's so many books i want to read why can't i read these books anymore what's going on i used to love reading i don't anymore yada 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 and mm -hmm. i think it was uh what was it? Was it Ron? Was it Ron? Mike Hong? The Chong? You know Robert? About. Yeah. Robert, Rob, Rob, yeah. Yeah. Rob, uh, he basically uh, suggested I don't read any more books. And he goes, start reading some fiction, see what happens. I was like, okay, cool. I've not read a fiction book in a while. Mm -hmm. Pick up this book from a friend's recommendation. I love spoilers, by the way. So I usually try and like find out what's going on because I'm like, fuck, I read one of the spoilers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a slow reader, by the way. I read this thing in about two, three days tops, like ran through the book. Yeah. Every time, I, like I couldn't put it down. And then like the second book, couldn't put it down. By the fourth book, I started getting a little bit slowly. And, you know, since then he's wrote, I think, seven or eight books. And it's kind of like, yeah, the last half are okay. But his early works, holy crap, they're gripping. Like the moment you read them, you're like, oh, okay, I need to know more about this. Super violent, really good book, really well done. So that's my recommendation. Nice. For anyone that's like, what's a good fiction book to read? But um, yeah, if you're not if you're not into epic fantasies, you know. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, you got to books that you have to commit weeks to that aren't aren't a lot of people's like uh, forte. Yeah. My wife, my wife can't stand it. So. <laughs> I don't blame her. She might be into the Chris Scott stuff. Who knows, man. She's she's really fascinating in the in the true crime real stuff like like that's that's her jam. We we just uh, we watched a quiet place last night. Um, what do you guys think? I well so I liked it personally. Um, she liked it, but was annoyed with a few things. Um, I think you just gotta you gotta watch it and and appreciate it for what it is, and then like I, I don't know what kind of horror like 
if you're if you're into horror, if you're into thrillers, or if you're in any of that kind of stuff. But it's definitely a very unique take on on the, on the, the genre. Yeah. So I, I don't want to give it away though, because like it was everybody probably experiences it differently. I really liked it. Um, but yeah, the and then and then we came home and we're watching the new thing on Netflix of you know a genius. Uh, Oh, like like evil, evil, genius? evil genius. I'm, I'm two episodes into that, dude. It is so good. Okay, don't fuck with episode two because we watched episode one, uh, and I haven't seen episode two yet. So don't. I'm not. I'm no spoilers <laughs> on that episode. I'm just gonna tell you, it's it's really addictive. You'll get into it. Nice. Um, but yeah, so yeah, guys, go go check those things out. We recommend. So real quick for you, um, just a real quick uh, kind of finalizing moment that I wanted to ask. Cause I know like we're almost at the hour mark. Is this idea of if you could th- if you could give three pieces of advice to entrepreneurs or even copywriters that are kind of going through either the struggle or the plateau of board chaos, what advice would you give them to kind of like get them back on their sorry to get them back on their feet, touch and move forward? Hmm. So that's a great question. Um, I would say you need to. Ch- I'll, I'll use all three of my different things as, as different like directions you can take. So if one doesn't work, do another one. Yeah, sure. Go for it, man. Um, the first direction you can take is immediate non-thinking action on the thing that you're avoiding. Straight up. Like, like right now, if you, like when I say do the thing you're avoiding, the first thing that pops into your head about, you know, the first thought of, okay, I'm avoiding this, or this is what he's talking about, do that right now, like pause the podcast and do it, open up a Google doc, like record something on your phone, whatever, just do it. Non-thinking rapid action, not two minutes from now, not half an hour from now when you finish your thing, like do it, right? I think that, I think the, the planning to do a bug is never fixed, right? You're always planning to do something, but when you force yourself to take immediate action, it makes you be resourceful. Uh, Obviously, don't put yourself in, in physical danger. Yeah. Uh, um, the second way that I would break through a plateau is to, so if the immediate action thing doesn't work or, or you just don't do it for some reason, um, is to disconnect from everything associated with the thing. Straight up. Like, delete Facebook off of your phone or, um, you know, walk away from your computer or you know, something, right? Just completely remove yourself from the situation entirely. And I think that that physical separation from your, because what I'm trying to do is break a pattern and the pattern is usually this vicious loop, right? Of, of not doing something. Right. And and this is just what's worked for me. And I've tried all of these and sometimes they work and, and sometimes one works and sometimes another works. Um, the immediate action, no, the immediate non-thinking action, the total break of all things associated with the thing that you're avoiding. And the, uh, the third thing is the, um, uncomfortable silence. So I'm making this up, uh, I'm making up these names as I go, but this is kind of how I describe them. So, uh, the third thing is the uncomfortable silence where you need to sit down, not stimulated by anything, right? So don't put in Spotify, don't watch TV, don't, um, you know, don't have Facebook open or your computer open or anything like that. And this is different from the disconnect because disconnect, you can do something. 
you can go and you know read a book and go to Barnes and like whatever, just disconnect. Versus the uncomfortable silence is when you're literally just sitting there, and now you get to think about thinking, and you get to understand, or you get to try to understand your thoughts because you're gonna become very rapidly self-aware when you're not stimulated by anything and you start to reach for things, right? Your, your body, like I physically reached for my phone to check social media before I have physically gotten up and going to find headphones to put Spotify in or, or something like that. But you have to force yourself to just be super uncomfortable until you get past the point of trying to distract yourself. And, and then you will be, you'll be confronted with the thoughts that you need to have once you get through that little membrane. And, and those are the, those are the three things that I would do if, if you're trying to overcome a hurdle or, you know, get over a plateau. That's incredible. I love that. Dude, that's brilliant. Thanks for being actually, uh, for being on the show, man. Really appreciate you coming in today. Well, yeah. you know, digitally checking in with me. <laughs> yeah. The, the miracle of the internet where you're know, right? half a world away. Oh, so crazy. Um, guys, go check out Lucas's website. I'm going to put the links up. I'm not going to try and embarrass myself by trying to say his surname again. <laughs> You nailed it the first time. You're all good. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep. I'm gonna, like, like, keep I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna keep my glorious belt of like nailing it one time. I was like, yeah, quit, like, quit at the top, man. Yep, quit at the top. Pretty much, just go out on your shields as a champ. Oh man, but Luke, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on here, guys. Make sure you uh, subscribe, uh, re-listen to this episode because there's a lot of great nuggets that we both drop in. Um, and you know, comment, let us know what you guys think, and you know, share this. Really appreciate it. Lucas. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Hopefully, I can get you back on in the future. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. See you guys on the next episode.